All right, I don't have much time, so if you grab your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 2, um, I got to hurry up and get to Christian unity before they realize I ain't there. <laughs> Y'all laughing. Uh, they wait to see if my car in the parking lot, and after a certain time, they just keep right on riding, so I got I to get home. Uh, but there is a word from the Lord, John chapter 2. Oh, God. I want to kind of, I hear that you guys had a move of God last week that was just phenomenal. Let's, let's, let's go a step further, if you will. John chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Now, let me, let me help you. I've been here a few times. I ain't got nobody to impress and nothing to prove. I literally came to have church. You got one of two choices. You can either help me or watch me. It don't make me no difference. I'm ghetto enough to have church all by myself. You don't believe it, just stick around and watch me. I'm reading from the New Living Translation for the sake of sermonic presentation. Whatever version you're reading from, if you will follow along with me, it is all the word of our God. Verse 1 of John chapter 2 said, The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Canaan, Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. Here it is, y'all. The wine supply ran out. Don't nobody get nervous. It's going to be all right. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out. Take it to the master of the ceremony. So the servants followed his instruction. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew. He called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. You know, the cheap stuff. But you've kept the best until now. This miraculous sign in Cana and Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. I want to talk for the next few fleeting moments as the Spirit of the Lord shall guide about when Jesus turns a mess into a miracle. You can have your seats in the name and in the presence of the Lord when Jesus turns a mess into a miracle. If I had to sum this short sermon up into a single sentence, I would simply say to us, according to the text, it teaches us that no matter how big the mess is in your life, if you let Jesus get a hold to it, he can turn that mess into a miracle. That's what this text teaches me. I don't care where you come from, where you've been, what you've done, who you know, who you wish you knew. I don't care what you're still waiting for, what, you're, what you feel you're deficient of. I don't care. I don't care what the enemy has done, what people have done, or what you have done. I don't care how big the mess is in your life. If you let Jesus get a hold to it, I'm going to preach myself happy this morning. He'll turn your mess into a miracle. 
Well, since I don't have much time, y'all know how we roll by now because we ain't no strangers, even though a few of y'all looking at me like, Harpo, who this here? Uh, uh, here's what I'm going to do to cut across the field. I'm simply going to ask three questions about this text, Skinner. Answer the three questions, and hey-ho, we can all go. Three questions, three answers, and I'm going to slip in my pulpit like I've been there the whole service. Question number one, what is Jesus dealing with? According to the text, the answer is he's dealing with a breach of contract that has nothing to do with him. Everybody at Christian Unity Church knows I hate a wedding. I can't stand doing a wedding. I tell them at the premarital counseling, please don't be offended that I'm not going to be happy and jolly at your wedding. I can't stand it. I, I know some of y'all looking at me and judging me. I don't care. I'm just telling you how I feel. I hate a wedding because it's the only event that, that, that predominantly African-American people, uh, it's the only event that everybody tries to find an original way to do the same thing. Oh, yeah, I've seen it, y'all. I've seen the dog be the ring bearer. I've seen 64 people in the wedding party. You name it, I've seen it. I've had to stand in sand and get it in my shoes. I've, I, I've sweat in the heat and turned two shades darker because it was in the middle of July in the sunshine, and they just had a bright idea. And, and they want me to officiate over all of this stuff. Uh, so I don't like a wedding, but, but a, in, in our text, that, that's not what a wedding was back in those days. It was not the pomp and the pageantry of circumstance. A wedding in those days was simply a fulfillment of contract between two parties. Here's the two parties. The parties in those days were the father of the bride and the groom. They would sit down at the table and they would discuss this, this contractual business arrangement of this groom taking the father's daughter and making him his wife. They would sit down and the groom had to, had to display what he had done to prepare for this new bride. And he had to show the father that he was able to take care of her because he could not come get her unless he could prove he could take care of her as a father I wish I had time but I ain't I ain't got time I wish I had time I bust a few of them in the head uh, uh, he, he could not come and get her until he could prove he could take care of her and once he proved that he could take care of her the father said since you got your steps together young man I'm going to send this dowry this extra that I've been saving up all her life so that y'all can now be comfortable because of the hard work that you put in well as they negotiate apparently they've come up with an agreement and the agreement is that the groom would be responsible for all of the wine at the wedding. Now you got to understand this wedding is a week long celebration to culminate the fulfillment of contract. So this man has to provide enough wine to supply the entire week long wedding ceremony. Now he doesn't flinch. He's cool. He got his stuff together. He's been saving up his few pennies. He's been saving up his money. So he goes down the guest list and he sees how many guests are invited and he adds up how many glasses he's probably going to need per day. Y'all ain't going to help me. Oh, it's going to be festivities, so I probably need about four glasses. No, Uncle Roscoe coming. I probably need about eight glasses per day, and I hope Roscoe ain't here. Uh, and 
and, and, and he adds up and he multiplies. He gets his little money together. He gives the money to the wedding coordinator so that he can order everything. And everything is going good, y'all. The wedding has started. Everybody is enjoying the festivity. The wine is going out. And the Bible is clear that in the middle of the festivities, we have a bit of an issue. Now, some of y'all ain't going to understand what I'm saying because you've been saved all your life. I can see your halo, halo, halo. I can see all of that. You, you look like you've been a good Christian from your mother's womb. So you ain't going to understand what I'm about to say, but the rest of y'all just stay with me. Um, what we have here, uh, some of y'all don't know this, but what we have here is a house party gone wrong. Thank God for all the honest people in the room. We, we have a house party gone wrong. Now, some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about, so let me explain it to you. You started out, you only supposed to have 20 people at the house. You told mama, mama, I just want to have 20 people at the house. We're just going to dance a little bit, drink some Kool-Aid, and, and, and we're going to be all right. Problem is, somebody invited somebody. Who, see, see, see. Like, thank God for, for all the ex-partiers somewhat in the house. All, all the still working on being an ex-partier. Somebody invited somebody who invited somebody who invited somebody and before you know it the 20 has turned into 120 they hanging out the front door they in rooms they ain't got no business in the house y'all come on with me they breaking stuff that you got to explain later well that's what we have here we have we have a guest list that has been extended people uh, you don't believe it look at even Jesus drugged 12 other people with him That was not on the guest list. Come on, y'all. We going, we going to a wedding. And so, and so this man has done his due diligence. He saved up his money. He's he's done all the calculations. He's given the wedding coordinator all the money. Only for in the middle of the ceremonies, the wine runs out. In the middle of the ceremony, the wine runs out. Can I tell you what this suggests to us? This tells me that you can do everything right and still come up short. Somebody needs to hear that today. You can do everything you're supposed to do and still come up short. And that's important to know because sometimes in the middle of running short, the enemy will play with you. He will make you feel like you're incompetent. He will make you feel like you are a failure. He will make you feel like you don't measure up, like you are inadequate, like you can't perform simple tasks like everybody else. When you see everybody else prospering and you do everything you're supposed to do and they ain't living a dime worth of nothing and it looks like they're going up and you're at a stalemate, the devil will mess with you. He will make you feel like maybe you need to go out and sell drugs. He will make you feel like maybe you need to go call Tyrone. He will make you feel like maybe you need to do some stuff to get you a little further because I've been giving my tithe and I still can't make ends meet. I've been coming to church and I'm still depressed. I've been raising my kids and they still bad as hell. Oh, I'm sorry. I've been, I've been. He will make you feel like something's wrong with you 
because you can't accomplish the simple things in life when he doesn't want you to know that sometimes you can do everything right and still come up short. Somebody say prove it. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord shall deliver us from them all. Let me tell you the good news in that whole situation. I don't care how short you come up. I don't care what you're missing. I don't care what you run out of. The good news is if you've invited Jesus to this party, I got a strange feeling that everything is going to be all right. Would you shake your neighbor's hand and just encourage them and tell them I don't care how bad it gets. Tell them it ain't over yet. It ain't over yet. It ain't It ain't over yet. He that has begun, or I feel like preaching in here, a good work in you shall perform. That's question number one. Y'all sit down. I got work to do. That's question number one of reach a contract that has nothing to do with him. So question number two, if it has nothing to do with him, why does he deal with it? Why? Why does he deal with this that has nothing to do with him? Can I give you the answer? The reason he deals with it is because Jesus is not ready for it, but God is ready for him. Okay, come with me. I, I understand why this is puzzling to some of y'all because when I keep saying Jesus, you keep thinking of Jesus the Christ, the Christos, the anointed one, the one that came down through 40 and two generations born of a virgin Mary, the one that healed the blind, that caused the lame to walk and, and the deaf to hear. You you thinking about that one that stood in front of Lazarus's tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth. And even though he had been dead for four days and the spirit, according in the Jewish custom had left the body even though he was standing there talking to a dead man the Bible says when he spoke he that was dead came forth you're thinking of that Jesus this is not that Jesus yet this is not the one known as the Christ this is simply Mary's son Joseph's boy that took over the family business after he died Jesus is just chilling. He's hanging out at the family wedding. Don't nobody really know who he is, and he likes it that way. Can I tell you why he likes it that way? Because ain't nobody trying to stone him to death when they know how anointed he is. Ain't nobody coming for him when they know what gifts are on the inside of him. Ain't nobody trying to kill him. Y'all ain't going to help me here. When they find out that he's got power from on high, sometimes it's easier to hide out when you're anointed to avoid the people who can't handle the favor of God that's on your life. Some, sometimes... Sometimes it's easier. Y'all know my life was more simple before people found out I was anointed. Because when they find out you're anointed, they try to find the secret of your anointing. So they'll follow you to the gym and to the grocery store. And they'll, they'll watch you when they see you in the mall just to see. Y'all ain't going to help me. Because with the anointing comes a spotlight that you didn't ask for. And Jesus ain't ready for all of that yet. He's just chilling out, enjoying the wedding. Because some 
some of y'all are hiding out, scared that if people find out how anointed you really are, they're going to come for you and you don't feel like that drama. So it's easier to sit back in the cut, y'all ain't going to help me, and just pretend like you ain't the only one in the room that can fix the problem. But God, every now and then, has to create a dysfunctional circumstance around you so that he can get what's in you out of you. Jesus, Jesus is minding his own business. Can I preach a little bit further? He's, he's minding his own business. And all of a sudden, I don't know what Mary's role is. I don't know how important she was. But I know they came running to her. Uh, that tells me you ought not to take none of your problems of somebody who can't do anything about it. And so they call over Mary. And Mary, Mary, we ran out of wine. This going to be bad. Jesus, baby, come here. Jesus. Jay, come here, baby. Come here. Come here. Yeah, mama, what's up? Baby, they run out of wine. Can I give you the Hutchinized version of Jesus' answer? She says, baby, they run out of wine. He says, and? <laughs> mama, what does God do with us? Oh, uh, Jesus, they run out of wine. Mom, my, my time has not yet come. You're always messing, Mom. It's too soon. I'm not, I'm not ready for that. I'm just chilling. Can I just enjoy the wedding? And thank God for a praying mama who knows how to ignore the flesh and see the spirit. Because she tells the servant, listen, something about to kick in. And when it does, whatever he says do to do it. Y'all ain't going to help me here. See, here's what you don't understand. If this circumstance had never arisen, Jesus would have never been provoked to come out of hiding. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Let me get it. Uh, if this circumstance had never showed up, Jesus would have took longer than he was supposed to revealing who he was to the people around him. Which tells me that sometimes what you think is a challenge and a problem is really just an opportunity for God to show everybody around you how much he's been with you the whole time. Can I tell you something about the anointing that's on your life? It requires dysfunction in order to validate it. Oh, you didn't catch it? Let me help you. If everybody can sing what we need your anointing for, we need to put you in a position where everybody can hear a tone like you can so that you can stand up here and be anointed. If everybody can fix the problem at work, you're going to get fired. But they keep you around because there's something about you that whenever there's a problem, something kicks in and you're the only one that can help the situation. I wish I had a witness in here. See, your, your anointing needs this function in order for it to show up to fix what other people can't handle and what you think is a problem is really just an opportunity and I need you to understand that if that is the case and God uses this function in order to validate your anointing then some of y'all ought to be shouting ask me why because the bigger the dysfunction is an indication of how big the anointing is it all oh, you didn't catch it listen to 
tell you they're not listening to me. Maybe they'll listen to you. Reach over, grab a neighbor by the hand. Come on. You knew you was going to talk to them when you sat beside them. Don't look at me like that. Come on. Shake that neighbor's hand and ask them a question. Say, neighbor, do you have big challenges? Ask them, have you got big problems? Ask them, do you got some major circumstances? Then tell them, then you must be a bad somebody. For God to trust you with all of that craziness, that means he knows how much anointing is on the inside of you that you can handle all of it. If I got a witness, shout yeah. I'm done. I'm done. I got to get out of here. Question number one, what is Jesus dealing with? A breach of contract that has nothing to do with him. Question number two, why does he deal with it? Because even though he's not ready for it, God is ready for him. So question number three, and I promise, for God and three politicians, I'm out of here. Question number three, how then does Jesus turn this mess into a miracle? I'm about to, I'm about to help five of y'all in this room. I felt God right there. How, how does Jesus turn this mess into a miracle? Can I give you the answer? He turns the mess into a miracle by using contaminated elements. I'm going to help somebody right here. This is what I came to help you with. Jesus Jesus looks around. Mama done put me out here. What can I, what can I use? What can I, what can I? Oh, there they are. There they are. You see them? They're up against the house. There are six stone water pots. I know why you can't see them. You're looking for a flower pot. You're looking for a small container that can hold water. That is not what these were. These were, these were equivalent to 55-gallon drums. You know, the 55-gallon oil drums. These are equivalent to 55-gallon oil drums that are up against the house that they use. God, help me in here. That they use in order to, 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 to do different things with. And each one of them has about 20 or 30 gallons in them already that they're, that they're holding. And Jesus tells them, matter of fact, go, get those, go, take, go to those drums and fill them up to the brim. I know you didn't know why that's significant. I didn't either at first until I kept reading. What the, the, the reason he says to fill them up to the brim is because whenever you had a large wedding and a large party like that, you can't transport that much wine. You can't move that kind of wine for seven days. So what they would do, they would condense the wine down to a syrup, kind of like a concentrate. You know, like orange juice concentrate or apple juice concentrate or whatever you use to mix your stuff with. Uh, uh, they would, what I say. They, they would, 
they would condense it down to a syrup. They would fill the water up so much and then they would pour the syrup in the rest of the way and they would mix it up and voila, you have wine. And so when Jesus tells him to fill it up to the brim, what he's doing is he's making sure that there's no more room for anybody else to put their hands in what he's about to do. Y'all and oh, some of y'all don't know why that's important because every now and then God will put you in a position where nobody else has room to move or do anything in your life. He'll put you in a position where grandmama can't bail you out of this one, where auntie can't write a check, where, where can't nobody loan you nothing to get you out of this. He'll put you in a position that if God don't help you, you're dead in the water and let me submit to you that whenever your back is that much up against the wall and whenever you're at a position where nobody else can help you, you're in the perfect position for God to be God. Because when God shows up and nobody else had a hand in how you got delivered, that means nobody else can claim jump on your blessing. Nobody else can take credit for what happened. They can't brag that they bailed you out. You got one testimony. If it had not been for the Lord who was on my side. And so, and so, he tells them, fill them up. Give me, give me about four minutes. I'm come get you. Give me. Fills it up to the brim. He says, now, go dip some out. Take it to the governor of the feast. Governor of the feast. He, he, he gets it. He tastes it. This is, this is, this is good stuff. Now, I, I was in, in, in my doctoral program. I, I defend my dissertation in about three weeks. And, and so I'll be finished with all of that. But, but when I was in the master's program at the Samuel DeWitt, Proctor, the Samuel DeWitt Proctor School of Theology at Virginia Union University, greatest seminary in the world, I had a, I had a preaching professor, Dr. Robert Wafawanaka. African guy that should have gave me an A for figuring out how to pronounce his name. But, but Dr. Wafunaka said, you can't properly exegete a text unless you have, unless you've read it at least 12 times. And so I tried it. When I got to about that eighth time, I, I stopped shouting over that best for last, that taste that the governor had because I, I was excited that the Lord would take what was already there, add to it which, you know, I used to preach that God will add to what you got and he'll make it more than enough, all of that. I used to preach all of that until I read it. And about the eighth time, I read something that messed with me. It said there were 20 or 30 gallons used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. See, some of y'all don't know when, when, whenever you had a long journey, you had on sandals and you walked on dusty roads when you got to where you're going, if you had a good host, he would make you stand up on this stool and hold your foot over the water pot and they would wash your feet as a sign of hospitality. It's toe jam. In that water. And then... When you finish eating, if you were ceremonial correct, you would, you would go wash your hands. So now you got, you got slobber and 
backwash with the toe jam. He ain't running water. This is in that. Can I take it a step further? There's a reason they're up against the house. Because don't nobody want to be trying to lug no 55-gallon drums around to go fill them up. So what you would do is you put them up against the house so that when it rains, the rain would help fill up the water. And that's less work you got to do. Problem is birds would fly by. And leave deposits on the roof. So when the rain washed down, not only is it toe jam and slobber and backwash, but you got bird droppings. My foot almost slipped. And Jesus says, oh yeah, dip some of that out and go feed it to people. Her? Where we do that at? Do you want any of that? Who wants to drink what is contaminated? What do you mean feed this to people? Jesus, why would you give people contaminated water? You're Jesus. Why wouldn't you just tell them, dump out the contamination? Fill up clean water. Because, see, I, I, was raised, I was raised in the old Pentecostal church where they say, God, don't use nothing unclean. God, God, don't use no unclean vessels. So this messed with my theology. How, how, how can you use something that is contaminated? Why wouldn't you dump out the contaminated water and only fill it up with clean water and you that? And I, I declare, I heard the Holy Ghost speak to me and say, son, if I got to dump out the contamination before I can use something, who going to preach? Who going who gonna, to who gonna sing? Who going to be, who, who going to be the ushers? Who going to, who, who going to, who going to serve in the kitchen? Who, y'all don't, don't nobody want, don't nobody want to help me? Because he said, you forgot what you used to do and where you used to go and where you used to hang out and who you, y'all don't, don't nobody want to have, don't nobody want to have church. I came to free five of y'all that the enemy's saying that your past is too contaminated for God to use you. I came to free somebody who keeps saying that what happened to you, where you came from, what you've been through, disqualifies you from ever really being used by God. I came to break up that theological lie. God specializes in using contaminated elements because he needs somebody who knows what it feels like to be messed up so that when he pours clean water on you and cleans up what was messed up, you can go back to somebody else who is where you've been and tell them it is no secret what God can do. What he's done for me. He, I need you to help me preach right here. Reach over and grab your neighbor. Get a different neighbor. That first one's sick of you. Get a different neighbor. Grab your neighbor by the hand and say, neighbor, newsflash, you are jacked up. Tell him you are a mess. Tell him you need work. Tell him you are a mess. But you the perfect 
person that God wants to use to impact the kingdom. God's about to use you to go places you never thought you'd go, to meet people you never thought you'd see, to do things you never thought you'd do. And with your contaminated self, you're going to walk into the enemy's kingdom and say, by the power of God, the same Jesus that picked me up, give me my child, give me my family member, give me my co-worker. If I got a witness, shout it! I got to go. I got to get out of here. But can I tell you my shout? My shout is that when the governor tasted the water, that was now why. I used to shout over the fact that he said, you kept the best till last. I used to shout over that, y'all. Until I did what Dr. Wapa Wanaka said. And I kept on reading. And when I got to that 12th read, I saw something I'd never seen before. The Bible says that he tasted the water that was now wine. But here's my shout. He says, though he knew not where it came from. But the servants knew. Wait a minute. We got a breach of contract. This is about to be a major scandal. And if you didn't know, if you breached a contract like this, your children's children's children were not allowed to do business with anybody because your family name was marred for generations. Oh, this man, we got a scandal about to pop off. This man about to be strung up a pole. This man is about to be put on blast. He's about to be put on front street. And you mean to tell me? Nobody knows about this, but Jesus, his mama, the disciples, and the servant. No, 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 no. This is supposed to be the rumor mill. Hey, y'all, what's going on? Child, you ain't heard? What? They done run out of wine. What? They supposed to be gossiping about this all through the place. But nobody knows about this. But Jesus, his mama. The disciples and the servants. Can I tell you why I shout? Because that tells me that what should have been used to expose the groom, what should have been used to exploit the groom, what should have been used to extort the groom, Jesus got in the situation and before anybody else knew about it, he covered him so that nobody else could see his shortcomings. And I told you, it's my shout. I can see why it ain't some of y'all shout because you've been good all your life. You ain't never done no wrong. You ain't never had a bad decision moment. You ain't never woke up in the wrong bed. You ain't never showed up at the wrong club. But I'm so glad that in spite of all of that, before my enemies could get enough dirt on me to use it against me to stop my ministry, Jesus covered me so that nobody 
would be able to use my past against me. I just need to know, is there anybody here that you ain't always been perfect? You ain't always done the right thing. You ain't always made the right choices. But the reason you're here today is because Jesus covered you. Do me one favor. Grab your neighbor. Grab them by the hand. Now don't hold that hand like it's a dead fish. But hold that hand. I said hold that hand like it's a light miracle. Shake it a little bit. Rock it a little bit. Rock it and shake it and say neighbor. Oh, so you got the wrong neighbor. Switch. Get another one. Get another one. Come on, look him in the face and say, neighbor, I need you to excuse me. I'm about to holler. I'm about to jump. Tell him I might even dance. Tell him this next praise is not for my car. Tell him it's not for my house. It's not for my children. Tell him this next praise is for all the stuff you never found out about me. I'm about to praise God because he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High God. Is there anybody here that can praise him because he covered you? That can praise him because he looked beyond all your faults and saw your need. If I got a witness, shout yeah, shout yeah, shout yeah.